Oh, good morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this morning, and uh, we thank you for your word. And uh, as we continue in uh, the life of Joseph together, uh, I pray that we would uh, receive every single thing you want us to receive, uh, and that uh, I, uh, preaching today, I would be completely um, out of your way with what you want to do. Um, uh, speak through your text. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, there was a man uh, who had a New Year's uh, resolution uh, that he wanted to eat healthier. And so in order to accomplish this, he decided to take an alternate route because every day he passed the same uh, bakery and he knew that was going to be too much temptation and he really wanted to get start to get his diet right in the New Year. So he decided to take a different route. And one day he, he was losing weight and getting healthier and his co-workers were all really proud of him. And one day he walks into the office and he has a giant coffee cake from, from this bakery. And everyone says, man, you're, you're doing so well. Why do you stop? You say, well, I had an appointment over there, and I had to pass it. And when I passed the bakery, uh, in the window were all of these beautiful coffee cakes. And uh, I, I prayed to God, God, if you desire for me to buy one of these coffee cakes, uh, I pray that you would have a parking spot open right in front of the bakery. And sure enough, on my eighth pass around, uh, that parking spot was open, and so I decided to stop. Um, now, kind of joking, all joking aside, uh, I, I think what we're talking about today in particular is really, really important uh, because I believe that our calling and our purpose in life is so important and, and we don't want to lose sight of our calling and we don't want to lose sight of our purpose for a lesser calling or sin or temptation. And we've seen it before. We, we've heard these stories a hundred times. A pastor goes into the ministry to preach and serve and make a difference. And he leads that church into a mega church. Tons and tons of people coming. Thousands are impacted by the ministry. And then abuse allegations come. And mistreatment of people starts to come to the surface. And that ministry ends up being totally destroyed because of his sin. A spouse decides to get married and start a family, and uh, they end up having an affair, and their family ends up kind of broken, broken and hurting as a result of that. A boss starts a company because he believes in his product. He believes in his calling, and it starts out with a great start, lots of sales, lots of success, and then the embezzlement accusations come, and indictments come, and eventually time served. What we're talking about today, I don't want to understand. It is so important. Sin and temptation, it is so important because I believe God has a calling for your life and for mine. And we don't want to substitute that calling for a lesser calling or a sin or a temptation. So we were introduced to Joseph last week. Uh, we're going to continue on in that series. He's the first son of, Joca, of Jacob and Rachel. And because Jacob loved Rachel so much, uh, Joseph ends up being the favorite son of Jacob, of, of his dad. His dad gives him this expensive coat. The rest of the sons are kind of laboring in the field. Joseph's uh, at home being the favorite. We're doing what favorites do, right? And there's a lot going on in, in this family dynamic that we talked about last week. But Joseph ends up being attacked by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. And he eventually finds himself in Egypt. And that's where we're going to pick up the story now. Now, I want to kind of say, there is a little disagreement that we're, uh, as we're plowing forward, on how this text should be approached. Uh, and the, the disagreement is over whether or not this is a text about temptation or whether or not this text is like a me too text. 
um, about kind of abuse of power and all that. And to be totally honest with you, you could uh, approach this text in, in either of those directions. Um, I am, you can probably tell from the introduction, I am approaching this text from a temptation point of view because as we're going to see in the story, uh, Jacob uh, was an extremely powerful person in this story. Now, so was Potiphar's wife, as we're going to see. Potiphar being married uh, uh, to Joseph's boss was also in a position of power. But Joseph was in a high enough position of power that I think that this is probably best preached uh, as a temptation story. And if you end up disagreeing with me, all, all grace. You could take either lane in this. Uh, but we're going to approach it from a temptation kind of point of view. Here's how the story goes. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And here's, you see this phrase a lot. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of the household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with any, anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of him and said to Joseph, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, right? You should kind of see how powerful Joseph is here. With me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called the household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought uh, to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until the master came home. Then she told him this story. The Hebrew slave you brought us came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When the master heard the story his wife was telling him, he said, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. You've seen a refrain here? Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So God clearly has a plan for Joseph's life, right? 
We, we see that. The, the text starts out on several occasions. He, the Lord was with Joseph. He was with him, right? And, and this is why, despite what is done to Joseph, and a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of anger, despite what is done to Joseph, God seems to be orchestrating this plan under the surface, leading to good things for Joseph and ultimately for Israel. Right? So he was with him. We see that he blessed him. Despite initially difficult circumstances, Joseph ends up prospering. It appears wherever he goes. He works for Potiphar. He gets in charge of Potiphar's whole household, everything. Uh, he gets uh, shuttled off to prison, falsely accused. And while in prison, he takes over the prison. He's in charge of everything there. So God blessed him. He ends up prospering and God gifted him. Joseph very clearly had these gifts of wisdom, organization, administration, and leadership. Joseph was a gifted person. And I think in Joseph, you see, if you want to call it a formula for living a good life. God is with me. He has given me certain gifts. And I'm going to be diligent and work hard and have integrity. And when you combine those things, those attributes... I think a successful life happens. Not immediate success or worldly success, but this kind of righteous success. And I think sometimes one element of that might be present and another might be missing and it creates issues, right? A person might feel that God is with them, but they refuse to work hard. And they find themselves frustrated that they're not having any success. A person might have drive and a work ethic, but they don't have God in their life. And they find themselves skirting ethical lines to satisfy their drive. A person might feel gifted, but they are a person of character, and then scandal ends up happening. It is in Joseph that we see the whole pie, not just a piece of it. That he feels that God is with him, that God has gifted him, that God has placed him, and he has done all of that for a reason. So I'm going to be faithful and diligent and work really hard because God is calling me to something important. And no matter what age you are, that preaches well. Right? No matter what age you are, that preaches well. Because this is the formula for a successful life. God is with me. He has gifted me. He has placed me. So I'm going to be diligent, work hard, and show great character. And that is the formula for a successful life. Now that being said, Joseph teaches us that there is something even more important than what we are called to do. We tend to get fixated on that. And the younger you are, probably the more fixated you can get on that. What is the what God is calling me to, to do and be? What, what, what occupation? What type of family? Right? What type of business? What type of whatever? What is God calling me to do? And Joseph is teaching us this morning, there is something a little more important than what. And here it is. Who? Who is God calling me to be? A lot of times we end up neglecting the who for the what. We get so fixated on the career. We get so fixated on the college. We get so fixated on the future that we forget about the who is God calling me to become? Who does God want me to be? See, Joseph, as we see read in the story, Joseph ends up losing his job anyway. Right? And if, if the what were the most important thing, the career he was building, the life that he was building, if the what was the most important thing, Joseph very easily could have felt like he messed up by turning down Potiphar's wife. It would have been really easy for him to say, I screwed up, I destroyed my career. The what wasn't the most important thing to Joseph. There was a greater thing than what. 
And that is, who is God calling me to be? What type of person does he want me to be? It was more of a who than a what. And there will come a moment in your life, if it hasn't already, it will. There will come a moment when a temptation or a situation or an event will threaten that. Not, not the what, right? You can always find another what. You can always take another career path. You can always, you can always do another what. There will come a time when a temptation or a situation threatens who you want to be and the person you're becoming. For Joseph, it was an invitation to an affair with his boss's wife. For Adam and Eve, it was the promise of being like God. For Peter, it was the promise of safety and security. For Jesus, in his temptation, it was the promise of power. And what hangs in the balance is more than what I am called to do. Joseph teaches us, you can always find a what. He thought the what was Potiphar. He gets thrown in prison. He finds out the what is prison. Regardless, he's like, I'm going to work hard and be diligent. What hangs in the balance, you can always find another what. What hangs in the balance is, who is the person that I want to be? Who is the who that God created me to be? The best me he wants me to be. So let me cons- let's consider just for a moment, who was Joseph? What are there, these character traits that he had that kept this temptation with Potiphar's wife in check? What, what are the kind of core attributes that he has that we can learn from that when we face our great temptation, whatever it is, when we face our great temptation, we can have drilled the well deep on these characteristics and have the same outcome as Joseph and overcome every temptation that is placed before us. And here's the first one. Joseph was committed to people on this earth. One of the great kind of attributes that Joseph has consistently throughout his life is a sense of loyalty and responsibility to people, right? In this story, you see his loyalty, don't you? To Potiphar uh, and to his business, you, you see loyalty to his boss. And I think that loyalty is not an attribute we think about or talk about very much because we confuse righteous loyalty with blind loyalty. And blind loyalty is a very dangerous thing. Blind loyalty says no matter what you do, no matter what you ask of me, no matter what you call me, no matter what you call me to do, I have your back. I will do whatever you want me to do. That is blind loyalty and that's dangerous. You've seen that happen in politics or maybe at work or even in some friendships where it doesn't matter what you say or ask. I, I've got your back. I, I'm on it. I, I, will, I will show blind loyalty. A righteous loyalty that the Bible calls us to flows out of a place of love, but also righteousness. It's part of what the Bible is talking about when it says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. It's part of what the Bible is talking about when it says, children, obey your parents. It's part of what it's talking about when it says to workers, do what your boss tells you to do. It's part of what it says when it says to us as citizens, submit to the governing authorities. It's not saying blindly give your loyalty to those entities. It's saying righteously do those things. In light of God's commands, in light of Jesus' example, in light of the work of the Holy Spirit, show loyalty to the people that God has placed in your life. This is an attribute. We don't think about it very much. I'm not sure I've ever preached on it, actually. 
This is an attribute that will keep temptation in check just like it did for Joseph. It's powerful. You see, the idea would be, the ideal situation would be, we would see the temptation and we'd be like, that's sin, that's wrong, I'm rejecting it, I don't want that for my life, that would, and that we would conquer sin. But it's called temptation for a reason. And there is nothing wrong with loyalty playing a strong motivator in our lives when we face temptation. Here's what I mean by that. If I do that, my marriage will blow up. If I do that, my relationship with my kids will be over. If I do that, I won't be able to work in this line of work anymore. There is nothing wrong. The ideal is that we would identify it as sin and say, no, no, no. God commands against that. God's told me not to do that. I'm rejecting that. That would be the ideal. But the second step is also very powerful that, man, if I do that, if I do that thing, my loyalty is broken and some relationships are going to lay in the wake. So growing up about 40 minutes from my house, we had uh, this old-fashioned ice cream parlor. Um, and in my little kid mind, it was ice cream Sundays as far as the eye could see. I mean, these, th- these things were really, really huge. They just rose to the sky. Hot fudge, peanut butter, caramels, for anything that you wanted, this, this old-fashioned kind of ice cream place had it. I had a friend growing up that was severely lactose intolerant, right? Couldn't tolerate lactose at all, right? Didn't, didn't like it at all. And every once in a while, I'd be kind of waiting at the school door for him to come in, and he would be absent from school. And the next day, he'd show up, and I'd be like, hey, where were you yesterday? And he said, we went to the ice cream parlor. <laughs> but you went to the ice cream parlor. You're lactose intolerant. Why would you do that? And his loyalty to ice cream was stronger than his loyalty to his stomach. Right? And so it is, this is not a bad lesson Joseph is teaching us. To cultivate loyalty in our lives. Some people are just naturally loyal. One of my mentors, just the most loyal guy I've ever met in my life, right? Just naturally kind of came out of the womb that way. Others, we we need to work on this a little bit. To say, man, God has given this person into my life, and I'm going to be loyal to them. Uh, I'm going to be good to them. I'm going to play my part and play my part well. Uh, Joseph had this in spades. He was a very just kind of loyal person person. Like I said, some people just naturally are bent that way. Others are, man, I got to work on that a little bit. I need to be more loyal. So loyalty is an attribute Joseph has, right? His faithfulness to God was a big deal to him, right? That's another, he was faithful, right? Notice what the text says. How can I do such a wicked thing against who? Against Potiphar? Yes, but also against God. How can I do this wicked thing against God? This wasn't just about his job and a loyalty to Potiphar, this had to do with his, the very essence of his relationship with God. And I think sometimes we can fail to see how sin affects our relationship to God. Yes, because God is holy and righteous, and in a very real way, uh, our sin separates us from him. Undealt with sin uh, separates us from, from him, but he has shown us grace upon grace through his son, and we know that sin can be forgiven through Jesus, and he offers us grace and new life. Our sin doesn't have to separate us from him. But I think more often our sin affects our relationship with God, not, not because of God, because of his holiness and righteousness, although that's true. But I think a lot of times it's because of us. That, that sin affects the way we interact with God from our side of the street. 
We don't want to admit that we're wrong. A lot of times we don't want to admit that we're wrong. Um, it's hard for us to admit that. Have you ever been like me? Sometimes I have found myself halfway down an argument and I know I'm wrong halfway through. I'm like, oh, I know, I know I'm wrong. They know I'm wrong. Everybody in the room knows I'm wrong. But I'm still fighting for my point of view because I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. One of the stupidest arguments my wife and I ever had before children, this is before Northwest, was over the Arby's logo. <laughs> Right? It was over the Arby's logo, and two seconds in, I knew I was wrong. I knew I was wrong. But I'm like, oh, I, I'm not losing this. Ar this is important. That, this is important that she understand the Arby's logo is an oven mitt with the thumb down, right? And it's clearly not. It's a hat. It's obviously a hat. And she, hon, she's in kids' ministry today. I'm looking right into the camera. You were right on that. All right? Right? You were right on that. All right? And so this is so important. The, the, Bible, the Bible gives us this, it's a theological word, but the Bible gives us this path for dealing with our sin. When we've screwed up, when we've given into the temptation, when we've gone down the wrong path, and that word is repentance. And all it means is we admit that we're wrong. Before God, yes, and God, man, what a God of grace. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. But God will say, man, I forgive you of that sin. But this is also in a powerful attribute to show to others. When you're like, man, I was not as loyal to you as I should have been. I was not as respectful to you as I should have been. I was not as kind to you as I should have been. Repentance is the tool that God has given us to deal with that. To, to turn to the people that we love and care about and say, man, I'm wrong. So sometimes it's just we don't want to admit that we're wrong. Other times we end up hiding from God and others because of our guilt. Right? We saw this at the very beginning of the, the, very beginning of the Genesis story uh, with Adam and Eve, that they end up committing a sin. They give in temptation. They're not loyal to God. They end up doing that. And then they end up hiding from God in the garden. And I have seen this in my ministry hundreds, if not thousands of times where someone sins, they make a mistake, they do something they're kind of regretting and, and ashamed of, and instead of running to God for his grace, they run away from him. And I think that one of the engines that drives this, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but one of the engines that drives this is we are so suspicious of grace that we can't fathom this holy, righteous, and perfect God that forgives sin that shows grace and makes us right. We can't fathom it. But a very cursory reading of the Bible would demonstrate that is exactly who God is. He is so committed to grace, he is so committed to reconciliation, that he gave his son, his one and only son, for our redemption and for our grace so that we could be made right with him in this life and in the next. So sometimes it is as simple as we do something we're ashamed of, we give into the temptation, and instead of running to him for grace, we run away from him. And so I think some of this is on us. But either way, Joseph's relationship with God was very important to him. And he just did not want this decision to get in the way of that at all. So he committed himself to trying to avoid it. When he, when he gave into it, repent of it. Um, and and, and, and not, not give into temptation whenever he could. All right? The next attribute Joseph has is honesty. It's a core part of Joseph's character and who he wanted to be. It was more important than power and pleasure and riches is that Joseph wanted to be an honest person. 
He understood that honesty was the basis of the relationships that he wanted to have with Potiphar uh, and, and the other servants in the household, with, with everybody. And you've probably said this to your kids or your grandkids. I don't know. If lying's probably a big deal to you. It's, it's, a, it's a big deal to us, like in our household. That, so we, we always want to teach our kids that, man, honesty, it's the basis of our relationships, how, how we can trust one another, how we can move forward as a family with one another. It's important uh, that, that we be honest with one another. We can deal with honesty, but, man, when there's deception and all that, you put us in a position where we, we have to discipline and punish. And so you do, you discipline lying, you reward honesty, and you're trying to have a family of, of grace in all things. But it was important to Joseph that he live an honest life. And because it was far more important than a lot of other attributes, like riches and power and fame, because it was more important than a lot of those things, it helped him to avoid temptation. So here's the thing with Joseph. He didn't give in to the temptation. We saw that in the story. But he also didn't avoid paying the price. Did you notice that? Look at me. Sometimes you pay a price for integrity. Sometimes you do. This sermon, it is not a tutorial on not paying a price. The tutorial on not paying a price would be him giving into the temptation in this case. Right? Life would have been a little bit easier for him, perhaps. So this is not a tutorial on never paying a price. Look at what happens to Joseph. Potiphar's wife lies about him. He ends up in prison. And this might happen, not the prison part, but the uh, paying the price part. It could happen to you and to me. Right? You could be fired. A relationship could end. In other countries, not here in the States, but in other countries, people are persecuted because of their integrity. So he paid a price. But look at me. The price he paid was not his integrity. He paid a price, but the price he paid was not his integrity. The price he paid was not the things that were most important to him. The price was not what mattered most. And I think that's what you and I have to drill down on this morning and get to the bottom of. How important is this who we are becoming? How important is that to us? Have we become so focused on what we're doing, the business we're building, the family we're building, the the career we're building? Have we become so focused on the what that we've lost sight of the who? That who is God calling me to be? Who does he want me to be? Who is he commanding to me? Who, who, Who is the person of integrity and character he wants me to be? And allow that this morning to begin to begin to trump all other things. That yes, my integrity and my character, who God wants me to, it is more important than my career. It is more important than my business. It is more important than a lot of relationships even that I have. My character and my, the who God wants me to be is becoming the most important thing. What matters most to you and what matters most to me, hopefully. And, and sin and temptation, you can always get another what? Another career, another job, another business, what are, th- th- those are really readily available. Um, we want to focus on more on who God is calling us to be than what he has called us to accomplish. And I'm reminded of this text. Um, I want to put on the screen for you from 1 Peter 3. We'll get ready to close on this. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, built on the contrary, bless for to this you were called so that you may obtain a blessing. All right, and look at this. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from seeking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. 
Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter's kind of starting out here. He's like, hey, pay attention to who you're becoming. Pay attention to your integrity. Pay attention to your character. Pay attention to the who stuff, not just the what stuff. And he says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Look at this promise. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, even if, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be the Lord's will, than for doing evil. Boy, that's good, right? Peter really brings the message home for us here, that even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, and you, you might, you might. This is not, Joseph's example is not one uh, that, that shows us how to avoid consequence. Joseph's story is about one who builds character. So if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, as Joseph did, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. You focus on what is right and what is good and what is holy and what is righteous, and you leave blessing to God. So this is the time of year where we make New Year's resolutions. Um, I have them too, uh, like you do. Um, I've broken a couple of them already, but, you know, we're working on it. All right. Continuing to exercise, all that stuff, reading more. Um, goal setting is a really good thing. But a lot of times our goal setting, rightfully so, focuses on what? I wonder if a couple of our goals need to be really stopping and pausing. Who am I becoming? Who, who is the who God has called me to be? Who, who am I becoming? And to make some goals and New Year's resolutions about that. That I want to be a person of grace. Or I want to be a person of honesty. Or I want to be a, a person that, that keeps my promises and does exactly. What, what are the who's that God is calling us to be like Joseph? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your grace. We thank you for your kindness. Uh, and most of all, we thank you for Jesus and for his grace and his kindness. And as we get ready to receive communion right now, um, I want to just pray that our thoughts and our minds would be directed on him and that we would see his grace and we would see his character and his life and that we would, through the power of the Holy Spirit, be committed to following his example. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Over the next uh, few moments, we're going to be receiving communion uh, together as a church family. And uh, we do this every single week because every single week we want to remember, uh, first of all, God's grace. Because there's not a person in this room. You know what the Bible says about all of us? All have sinned. All have sinned. And all fall short of the glory of God. So we have all had this moment where a temptation is before us. And we know it's not God's best. And we know it's not what God wants for us. We know we shouldn't do it maybe even, but we've given into that temptation. He said, it is the common denominator in this room that all have sinned. And you're like, well, not me. Well, pride is your sin. And that's, an, that's a big deal one, right? So we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has. And so this is an opportunity to remember that, man, whatever my background is, 
whatever my past and whatever ways I've screwed up. Repentance is the tool and grace is the outcome. So repentance is the tool that God has given me to say, God, I screwed that up. I should have been more loyal. I should have been more kind. I should have been more graceful. I should have been more loving. I shouldn't have sent that text. I shouldn't have gone to that lunch. Grace is the moment we're like, ah, I messed that up. The result of repentance is grace. Where God says, I forgive you. I've given it to my son on the cross. It is forgiven. You have received grace and mercy and kindness. And so this is kind of a a time for us to do that uh, internally with God, to just think about the past week or the past lifetime and say, oh, because we all walk in here with a a, a bag full of guilt and say, oh, I wish, you know, we we sometimes fantasy about a time machine. If If I could go back, I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have sent that. I wouldn't have done that. And this is the moment where God's like, hey, let me take that. Let me take that. So it is possible for you to have walked in here today with a bag full of guilt and to walk out of this place free of it. As God's spirit impresses on your heart and in your mind, just like he does every week on mine, that, hey, I'm a God of grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. I am a God of grace. So yeah, you've recognized that it was wrong. That's great. But recognize that it's forgiven too. Sometimes we recognize it was wrong and we just replay that again and again. Oh, how could I? How could I? How could I? And God's like, all right, you've recognized it's wrong. That is a tool that I've given you. But you've not received the outcome of that, which is grace. And so you have to, rec- if you're going to be a, a follower of Jesus, you've got to be able to recognize both. That that was wrong and it is forgiven. And this is a time where we celebrate that exact thing. And the other thing we celebrate is that this is the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus said we, we, repentance is the tool, grace is the outcome, and then moving forward is empowerment. And God said, you don't have to live that way anymore. right? You've recognized it's wrong, I have forgiven it, and now I've given you my Holy Spirit so that you can leave this place empowered to not do that again. And that is good news. It's better news than you're reacting right now, but it is good news. <laughs> I'm, I'm teasing you. It's really great news that all of that is available to us through, through Jesus and through his work on the cross. And so we just spend a few minutes right now thinking about those things. And look at me. If you came in here today with a bag full of regret, give it to the cross. Grace upon grace upon grace and receive his love this morning. So we're going to pass out the emblems, and uh, we're just going to kind of think about what Christ has done. And then I'll come back up in just a minute, and we'll all take it together as a church family. We like to do that because in addition to the power of the Holy Spirit, we like to look around this room and be like, oh, I'm not alone in this. I know that person over there is a sinner. I know that for sure, right? We can look around and be like, oh, I'm not the only sinner in this room. I can tell just by looking around, right? Um, and, and I'm not the only person that needs grace. I'm not the only person that needs help, and we are in this boat together. We love that about the church, that we're not alone. We're in this together, and we can help one another. So let's uh, pass out the emblems, and then I'll come back up in just a few moments. His body given for you. His blood poured out 
Jesus, right now, we give you our sin. Whatever the bag is that we walked in here with of guilt and shame, maybe it is something we said, a text we sent, a decision we made, an act that we wish we could have back. Whatever it is in this room, we, we all have a thing. It's the great equalizer in this room. We may be dressed different. We may come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. We may come from different family backgrounds. But this is the equalizer. We all have our thing. Right now we give it to you. And as we give you our sin, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right now in this moment, may we receive your grace. May we receive your mercy. May we receive your life. And right now, maybe even some of us would need to visualize just handing the bag off to you, whatever it's filled with. Handing it to you and maybe right now we could see you taking it and leaving it at the foot of the cross forever. And right now, again, we receive your grace. We receive your mercy. We receive your love. We receive your life. We thank you for Jesus and for that grace. It is in his name we pray. Amen. You know what that... You know what that feeling is right now? It's freedom. It's what freedom feels like. Because we all have our thing. We all carry around our thing. And one of the beauties of the gospel is that we, we get to give that to Jesus. We get to give it to him. And he joyfully, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning the shame. He takes it. He pays for it. He gives us his life of righteousness shows us grace and empowers us to live differently. Amen. Go ahead and stand. Let's close with one last song. God bless you. We'll continue, Joseph, next week. We're going to start with the chorus. Upon this rock held